morning, church. Our reading this morning is from Matthew 12, 38 through 42. It's on page 972 in your pew Bibles. The sign of Jonah. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet of Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Let's pray. Dear Lord, just thank you once again, this opportunity that we come, come before you and can worship you. I just pray that we would honor you and glorify you in our worship and our praise and in our listening. I pray uh, that you would bless Aaron as he comes up and speaks. I pray that uh, we would have ears to listen. I pray that we would apply the words, your word, to our life. We know that your word is good and it is true. I pray that we would abide in it and, and in that you would abide in us. I pray uh, that you would give us willing hearts to do that which you are asking us for uh, asking us to do. I pray uh, that you would reveal to us any sin in our lives that we may turn from it and we'd flee from our sin and and run to you that we would turn to you and that we would, we would reflect your name and your glory and become more and more like your son Christ. And it's your, in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you, John. Well, good morning again. If you didn't know, in a few months, I will turn 40. I do not like parties, so if any of you decide to throw me a surprise party, which I'm speaking primarily to my wife, I will do church discipline on you, unless... Dale's three wise men come and sing happy birthday for me. Thank you, brothers, for leading music this morning. So imagine if you were at a birthday party, okay? We've been to one before, right? Maybe when you arrive at the birthday party, there are some good food. There's some good fellowship. For those of you who like cake, there's even a delicious birthday cake there. Uh, imagine coming to the party, though, and you arrive and you're angry because the party is not about you. Someone's name other than yours is on the birthday cake, or someone's name or their age is on the balloons. They keep adding someone else's name to happy birthday. I want this party to be about me. It'd be ridiculous, right? Well, that's what's taking place in our text this morning in Jonah chapter 4. You remember the scripture reading in our call to worship from Luke chapter 15, that there is a party in heaven when one sinner comes to repentance. Keep that in your mind. And so last week, we were reminded over and over again the response to repentance, our call to repentance from God. Jonah repented and went to Nineveh. Nineveh repented and 
to God and turned to God in sorrow. The king of Nineveh repented and he led his people in a corporate sort of repentance. And God relented from the wrath, the consequence of the sin that was due on the people of Nineveh. There's a party in heaven. There is great joy in heaven when sinners repent. In chapter 4, though, we see Jonah's heart on full display. This is where we finished last week in verse 10 of chapter 3. When God saw what they did, speaking of Nineveh, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And so this morning we'll see the mercy of God save sinners from the wrath of God by God's righteous judgment through the gospel proclamation of the people of God. Would you pray with me? Father, would you incline our ears to your testimony? Would you open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things in your word? Would you unite our hearts to fear your name and satisfy us this morning and to your steadfast love in your word? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look first at this first section of Jonah 4, if you want to follow along that first paragraph. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you well do well to be angry? And so we have moved from God's grace towards the people of Nineveh towards Jonah's anger towards what has taken place. And so you might be asking, why is he so displeased with these circumstances? Well, like Jonah, Israel knew of God's gracious character, but he didn't see God's grace in his own life or Israel in their lives as being for the benefit of other people outside of the family of God. And so Jonah was angry. He was exceedingly angry. Some of your translations put this as, it seemed wrong, so Jonah was angry. Or, this greatly upset Jonah. Or there might be a footnote that says Jonah was exceedingly, or it was exceedingly evil to Jonah. The last verse from chapter 3 actually helps us here. Nineveh turned from their evil way. We talked about this last week. The evil was the ra'ah, which is the Hebrew word. God relented from his disaster, it says in verse 10. God's ra'ah. And in verse 1, Jonah was angry. Can you catch on what the word is? It's ra'ah. The pagans of Nineveh were in harmony with God, where Jonah was not at all. And like he prayed in chapter 2 in his distress, Jonah prays here in distress. But in chapter 2, he wanted relief from God for his own sins while he was in the belly of this fish. Here he doesn't want God to give relief towards his sin. He wants God to give relief towards, or he doesn't want God to give relief towards the sins of Nineveh. And it's almost like he shouts out, I knew it, God, I 
knew you would give them grace. I knew you would save them. And Jonah repeats a series of phrases that we see throughout the Old Testament. He knows God is gracious. He knows God is merciful. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. But God relents from disaster. He knows God's character. But he also knows that he doesn't like it. That it's going to Nineveh. He only wants it for himself. So consider God's character here. Jonah knows God's gracious. Not giving sinners what they deserved. Jonah also knows that God is merciful. Giving sinners what they don't deserve. God doesn't give us what we do deserve. He gives us what we don't deserve. That's grace and mercy. And it extends past Jonah. It goes to the people of Nineveh. Jonah says, I know you're abounding in steadfast love. This love of God, the word in the Hebrew is hesed. You've probably heard that before. Or the New Testament word of agape. God's love is also abounding. It never runs out. It hasn't run out on Jonah when he continues to sin either. And Jonah says, I know you relent from disaster. Ra, like a mother has compassion on a child, so you have compassion on your good creation. That's a good prayer to pray, right? But Jonah's an epitome of, this is only for me, it's not for thee. I love your grace towards me. Israel loves God's grace towards them, but he detests it. Israel hated it for those outside of God's people. They despised God's grace for others. And Jonah has known God's character throughout this entire book of Jonah. He just didn't want to face it. He didn't want to extend it to others. But the real Jonah is on display. He obeyed God eventually, but he really didn't want to submit to God. He received mercy even after he fled and he disobeyed. The grace of God, though, is not a license to sin. It's a call to repentance. Paul says this in Romans 2. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Jonah is a man of irony, right? He fled the Lord in chapter 1. He lamented after being banished in chapter 2. He praised God for saving his life out of the fish, but then complained when God saved the Ninevites and was angry in chapter 4 because God loves those who are outside of the people of Israel. And now Jonah wants God to take his life, to remove him from this world. Jonah was a deeply depressed man. But he was not justified in his depression. He should have rejoiced at the salvation of Nineveh. Men and women created in God's image, spared from the wrath of God. Hundreds of thousands of them. And I think Jonah has bad theology. And bad theology leads us, leads people to despair. Israel had a limited understanding of who their God was. They thought that their faith in being closely tied together to social or political or economic prosperity was for their benefit. And they thought God was only for them. But that's not real life. When prosperity doesn't come or it goes to someone else, it could be depressing, which it was for Jonah. Out of the mouth, though, the heart speaks, and Jonah speaks. Jonah's heart is seen, even in his prayer to God. 
And if depression or anger come when God's grace is manifest to other people, or even to us, we are shown to have a false understanding of who God truly is. And Jonah had bad theology. He had a bad heart that was not transformed. Israel did too. But what about us? We've heard it over and over again this morning, even in John's prayer that he just had. He who has ears, let him hear the words of Jesus. Jonah wants to die. Jonah wants to go to the grave like he fled to Joppa. But Jonah's death wish is ignored by God. God rhetorically rebukes Jonah. He says, do you do well to be angry? Insinuating the answer is no, not at all. And prosperity often it leads to selfishness. Jesus says it's, or sorry, yeah, this is Jesus. Jesus says it's better to give than to receive. And Israel had failed and Jonah was mad and God made his actual promises come true. But the mercy of God saves sinners from the wrath of God by God's righteous judgment. You may have heard this saying before, there's no such thing as a stupid question. Jonah's question was stupid. Jonah asked to die. It's a stupid question. But God will use Jonah as an example in the next few verses, verses 5 to 8, to show him why it's a dumb question. Look with me, verse 5 to 8. Jonah went out to the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see the, what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when he, dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on his head of Jonah, so he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Just keep your finger there. So Jonah knows God is gracious, yet he goes up to this city, out of the city, and he goes to see if God really wouldn't relent from the disaster. Maybe God wouldn't keep his word. So he goes up on this hill, and he's like, okay, I know God. He will come down with sulfur and fire like Sodom and Gomorrah and destroy the city of Nineveh. You see how Jonah was a twisted man. He didn't really believe the things of God. And like God appointed a fish to swallow Jonah, and like God appointed a fish to vomit him back up on the dry ground, God appointed a worm and a wind to teach him a lesson of God's providence. Where God graciously provides Jonah with some shade. He's already in a booth in some shade. It's a tent. And God provides a plant to give him some more shade. It sheltered him from his discomfort. In verse 6, his ra'ah, the same word. The great fish and the vine are illustrations of God's continued sovereignty throughout this book. Not only is God over his creation, but he is sovereign over the affairs of not just human beings, but through everything in his creation. Jonah was saved from his discomfort, like Nineveh was saved from their discomfort, of what was to come for them, the wrath of God. And Jonah was glad to receive the grace of God, but he wasn't glad for it to be extended to the people of Nineveh. 
In verse 6, it says he was exceedingly glad by this extra shade. Can you see the irony again here used of Jonah, who was exceedingly joyful for his provision? But in verse 1, he was exceedingly displeased. It's the same grammar that God would save the people of Nineveh. As angels proclaimed at Jesus' birth, that salvation of Nineveh should be good news of great joy for all people, including Nineveh. That wasn't the case. That's not what Jonah wanted. Jonah, wake up. We want to just go and like smack him on the back of the head, right? If anyone's home, please open your eyes. Are you that blind? The contrast between the salvation of the Ninevites and the joy of his own salvation is in stark contrast to his anger at the salvation of the Ninevites. So God wakes Jonah up with a worm he wakes Jonah up with a hot jolt of warm air from the desert to our hypocritical friend. God's grace comes via his sovereignty. He does his, and so, sorry, excuse me. His grace comes from his sovereignty, but also so does his judgment. God is bringing Jonah to the end of himself. He takes away the shade. He increases the heat. And Jonah's response again at the end of our verse in verse 8 was, let me die. Jonah's depression is deepened as he felt his entire life had been wronged. One commentator suggested having failed as a prophet, now he had failed God in his own heart. He wished to die. The light is now shining on Jonah because he has no shade and the heat has been ratcheted up with a warm wind from the desert blowing on him. As Jonah in this picture of Israel, or I'm sorry, as Jonah is the picture of Israel, God is turning up the heat. He's shining the light on their sin. As I was studying for this passage, I was reminded of the great British preacher Martin Lloyd Jones. He referred to the pulpit as light and heat of what comes from the pulpit as preachers, where light comes from God's word to push back the darkness in one's soul. And God's word was clear to Jonah. He didn't just want to follow it. Or sorry, he just didn't want to follow it. Light and heat, though, are needed. Heat is the passion exuding from the heart of the soul of the preacher, the spirit igniting a fire from God's word to sustain God's people. And if you think about the preacher in the story, it's God himself with his word. That's some light and heat, is it not? God wanted Jonah to wake up. God wanted Jonah to respond. And God was being gracious to Jonah here by saying something to him. But again, Jonah's heart was hard. And God is calling Israel through Jonah. Open your eyes. Wake up. And maybe he's even doing that to you now or even to us as a church. It's time for the text for God to show Jonah something. But for God to say something as well. And it's profound. God speaks up and he silences Jonah in verses 9 through 11. God gets the last and final word. Where Jonah needs a revival in his heart. Israel needs a revival. And if we are honest, so do we. The mercy of God saves sinners from the wrath of God. By God's righteous judgment. Through the gospel proclamation of the people of God. Let's look and see what God says. And so, Spirit, would you help us as we finish our time in verse 9. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. 
And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in the night and perished in the night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? God asked Jonah a question. Is it good for you to be angry, to have ra'ah? Jonah's quick answer is, yes, it is good that I have ra'ah. Enough ra'ah to die. He's angry now about the plant, not the salvation of Nineveh. And I personally hate being hot, so I get how angry it could make him. But Jonah needs to wake up. And God gets the final word. First, he has a word for Jonah. Let God's word penetrate your heart by the help of the Holy Spirit, even this morning. Our frequent word in chapter 4 of anger, ra'ah, shifts to that of pity. You might have picked that up in the text. And this word means to look upon something or someone with compassion. For Jonah, the plant was a means by which God was pinning and pointing out his compassion and compare for him, or care for him. God reminds Jonah that he did not labor for the plant. He didn't make the plant grow. It's the God of the Scriptures. It's the Lord Yahweh, who is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, who is gracious to Jonah in his sin, who is merciful to Jonah to provide for him when he is not worthy of the provision, who is slow to anger and patient with him in the continued complaining and his steadfast love towards him that never runs out, even as Jonah keeps sinning throughout this book. The plant was to show God's mercy to Jonah. Jonah cannot outsin God's love towards him, and neither can we. The second thing what this text shows us is like Jonah, we contribute nothing to our salvation. Jonah was insisting he had the right to do for the plant what Yahweh, what God was doing for the people of Nineveh, having mercy and compassion. The word in our text over and over is pity. The plant is a plant, but Nineveh is a city of hundreds of thousands of people created in God's image who are dying in their sin. And I'm no environmentalist, but Jonah had grown completely indifferent to the fate of God's people. God's creation beyond the bounds of Israel. He cared about plants more than the people. Many of you know Kristen loves her garden. She loves and gets lots of joy by seeing flowers grow. But if she came home with a t-shirt that said, I love, God, or, I love plants more than people, which you can actually buy, I looked it up, it would end up in the trash. God declares here, not only is his right, does he have right to feel compassion and concern for Nineveh, but it's his right to intervene on their behalf for their salvation. People are more important than plants. And if Israel had a soft heart in hearing and reading this story of Jonah by the power of the Spirit, this light and heat, they would have remembered these words that God gave them as they were getting ready to go back into the promised land in Deuteronomy. It's in chapter 7, if you want to turn there with me. Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 through 11. This is what Israel was to be remembered. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all the peoples. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now, therefore, 
But the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will pay, repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. You shall do the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that God commands. And Jonah didn't. Israel didn't. Will we? God had pity on Nineveh. Because it's his prerogative to have pity on Nineveh. It fits within his character. Nineveh didn't know the difference between their right hand and their left hand. What that signifies is that they were just utterly confused and distorted in their thinking. Romans 9, 15 to 16, I think helps us. says, For he, God, says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion, so that it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. And as Jonah, the book, finishes, that's where it ends. It depends on God who has mercy. Jonah doesn't get to rebuff God. And God responds to Jonah with silence. God gets the last word. He is the God of mercy that Jonah has known all along. So next week, we go back into the Gospel of John. As you reflect on our time in Jonah this month of August, consider and prepare your hearts to return to John. John took an account of what took place in the life, ministry, and substitutionary atonement of Jesus on our behalf, his resurrection from the dead, so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we might have life in his name. But it's not just for us. It's for those outside of the people of God. God's question at the end of Jonah captures the very intention of this book. The focus on is on God's grace. Jonah didn't deserve shade, and Nineveh didn't deserve deliverance from the wrath of God. God's greatest desire for a lost and dying world is to provide them grace through the gospel, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the grace that we have received that we can then go and communicate and deliver to others. I read this, this in my study this week. God has every right to show mercy to all nations and peoples and us. And we, like Jonah, have no right at all to think that some are intrinsically less deserving than others of this mercy. There's a lost and dying world around us that doesn't know their right hand from their left. They're sinners in need of a savior. They're confused about a lot more than their right and left. Would we agree? They're confused. And what matters most is knowing that they're a sinner and that there's wrath of God is coming against sinners. But God can have mercy on them and does have mercy on them when they believe the gospel through Jesus. There is a Savior, and we know who He is, and we can share of their only hope, the gospel. We're all like Jonah, but God has mercy on us in our sin. God has mercy on us who continue to disobey like Jonah did, who don't follow God's word through Jesus as well. 
for the mercy of God saves sinners from the wrath of God by God's righteous judgment through the proclamation of the gospel through the people of God. We point people to Jesus, like Jonah pointed people to Jesus in our scripture reading this morning showed us. Consider this entire book of Jonah. Jonah ran away from Joppa, where Jesus walked willingly to the cross. Jonah was thrown into the sea. He was swallowed by a fish, where Jesus was swallowed up in death. He was placed in a tomb. Where Jonah was put back onto dry ground, Jesus was raised to new life. Jonah preached to Nineveh, and Jesus appeared to many. And while Jonah sits outside of the city, angry at God, waiting for his wrath to come down, Jesus ascends to heaven, is seated at the right hand of God, as we saw this morning that he is interceding for the saints. Jesus leaves us here to go to all nations, making disciples who will turn and follow the example before them to then go further, like the people who came before us had passed and entrusted to us the gospel. And it was great sacrifice for Jonah to come to the end of himself and to go to Nineveh in chapter 3. It will take much sacrifice for us to go as well. Those who have gone before us have always shown us that suffering and sacrifice are the means by which God grows His church. Think about the Old Testament folks who suffered and caused God's people to move forward from Abraham to Jacob to Joseph to Daniel, Esther. Acts 5 records the apostles who are having been interrogated and flogged and beaten by the Roman and the Jewish leaders. They were released from prison, and this is what they said. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Friends, you've experienced the gracious taste of light and heat. The Word of God calls us to go, like Jonah and like Jesus told the disciples in Matthew 28, that you therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. Where the mercy of God saves sinners from the wrath of God. We agree on that, right? God's righteous judgment on us by believing is salvation. And it comes through the gospel proclamation of God's people, of you and of me. And the Spirit, it compels us. He compels us to respond and to obey. And when we don't want to obey, we can repent. We can receive forgiveness, and then we can go. And it's God's kindness and mercy that leads us all to repentance. We go because we have a great message of great joy and mercy for all people. We go and we make disciples. We baptize them like we did last week. We teach them to observe and to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. We trust God to give them mercy to believe as we are faithful to just open our mouths to share the gospel with them. Our role, or sorry, God's role is to mercifully grant the gift of faith. Our role is to give the gift of the message. It's the most loving thing we can do to a lost and dying world that's dying in their sins. To our neighbors, to our families, to our friends, to the people that we meet in our day-to-day -day lives. Jesus, in rebuking the Pharisees, said this in Luke 14, 5. Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into the well on the Sabbath day, will not immediately pull it out? Again, hypothetically asking them, would you not show mercy and respond to something that is dying? The answer is... No one would do that. 
Jesus reminded his people that there are weightier matters of the law, and the weightier matters of the law include mercy. We who have had mercy shown to us must, of all people, be willing to show mercy and to share mercy with others in return. The great missionary to the Aka Indians, Jim Elliot, he was speared to death on a beach after he went to go share the gospel with a people group who had never heard the gospel before. He said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We don't need to ask to die in anger, but as Philippians says, to live as Christ and to die is gain. To suffer like him, to die like him. Even if it does happen, it is gain. If our lives are taken, it's worth it. Any Christian is capable, at least secretly, of Jonah's stance. Christians pray against our enemies. We delight in their misfortunes individually, but I think as well corporately. No Christian ought to take Jonah's stance. Jonah said, I have the right, but he did not. The lost and dying world around us is not our enemy. They are enemies of God, and God desires them to be part of his family. And by becoming part of his family, some will become part of this church, this family, even if they're the weird Uncle Joey that we all have, right? The world is adamant about what we are against. I was browsing a little bit, and here's a few things that I saw recently on our town Facebook page. I'm sick and tired of the post office closing early. Maybe some of you saw that. I'm tired of crime at my farm stand. I'm tired of my neighbor being loud. I'm tired that the roads aren't plowed or the tree fell in the road and it hasn't been removed yet. How about we become a church and a people who are sick and tired of sinners being condemned to hell? And we can do something about it. The mercy of God saves sinners from the wrath of God by God's righteous judgment. And it comes to the gospel proclamation of the people of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are abounding in mercy and love and grace and patience towards sinners like us. Father, thank you for giving us the grace to believe the gospel, that your son died in our place on the cross for our sins, that he rose to give us a newness of life, to prove that he is God. And God, you say, even in our sin, even in our doubting, even in our questioning, that you will never leave us nor forsake us, even unto the end of the age. Father, thank you for having an abundance of mercy. God, we ask that you would help us to worship you because of that, to sing loud for who you are and what you've done, to respond in obedience, to go to a lost and dying world around us, to proclaim the gospel and be faithful to the call of which you've put on our lives and trust that you will save sinners like you did for us. Father, we desire 
to not fall into sin, to believe you, God, but we oftentimes don't. And so, God, would you help our unbelief be glorified in the rest of our time. We pray this in Jesus' name.